AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. You're listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Waiting on reparations, uh, uh, uh. You about to listen to a happy citizen Cause I'm sick of this election and I'm happy shit is done There'll be time for introspection but for now be glad we won Seeing sad Trump supporters I was laughing it was fun Joe got the ship to steer again Blacks the ones that carried him Oh by the way I wanna thank the libertarians The margins were very thin But we just secured the win Fuck the proud boys but I'm down with the married men Take from the rich, give to the poor Dope knife, reason they can't keep licking stores Sending races down in Georgia, we prepare for more But these hands are like Rona, you can get it indoors Nigga, Fox News has lost it These lawsuits is nonsense They want to sue Philly But we trust in the process Check the popular vote We gaining separation What should Biden do? We waiting on reparations Write your rhymes in the meantime Sending an email to the attorney Blue Georgia, yeah, we turning Doing it, yeah, the whole world be burning If we don't pass a Green New Deal real soon Yeah, we gonna have to go get the nerdy Scientists to tell us Because everybody else be denying this And Joe Biden is <laughs> about to pass it But it's okay because we elected him in hot fashion uh i have to go and fight the fascists because they trying to do a coup motherfuckers know that georgia's blue you know they don't acknowledge it i'm about to try to abolish electoral colleges <laughs> hey. <laughs> my name is dope nice i'm lingo franca we are waiting, waiting on, on reparations. reparations ladies and gentlemen we got them we got them <laughs> down goes don down goes 45. Is he getting back up? Is he getting back up? I don't know. I can't tell. Well, I mean, you know, it's definitely old news for y'all at this point. It is Monday, November 9th for us as we record this. 
And I have no doubt that by Thursday when you guys hear this, that there's going to be like an all-new revealing house of horrors with the situation. But for now, you know, motherfuckers is in the street and we're going to be in a little celebratory mood right now. And plus we're in motherfucking Georgia. And so this is a whole nother level of big deal for people down here. No doubt. Well, just to recap, um, over the weekend, the election was called and Joe Biden is now your new WWE champion. Or the 46th president of the United States. Speaking of WWE, <laughs> I'm going to just keep harping on Georgia this whole show because we came out with a steel chair in the dead of night. De- I was awake at like 5 o'clock in the morning. At the last hour. Watching it when it flipped. Georgia came in with the steel crept, chair. And it crept. And then when it flipped over and it was like 600 votes up, like I was exhausted and utterly delirious because I got maybe like 14 hours of sleep last week. But um, now I was just kicking it in the crib with like election coverage on, you know, the laptop. And to be honest with you, I kind of checked out like I felt so damn wound up by the whole thing intense that like when the day finally got there and the votes started coming in, I was like, yo, I'm just turning it off. I had a bad feeling anyway. So it's like, I'm just going to turn this shit off and just see what happens in the morning. But your experience was completely different, right? Because didn't you go to an election watching party or something? I was. So I went up to Gainesville to watch the results come in with my boyfriend, Paul, who is the, was the uh, campaign manager for a uh, candidate for Congress up in North Georgia by the name of Devin Pandy, running in a really tough district. Um, but, you know, celebrating all, I mean, all kinds of small victories that are won with regards to turnout with regards to other candidates that were running. So my question I have for you is, like, it's one thing to see all of your, like, lib or progressive friends, like, oh, yeah, Georgia turned blue, Georgia turned blue. But for somebody like you who's actually, you know, I mean, would, like I be, left, would, it, would it be unfair? Would it be, like, a mischaracterization for me to say you're somebody who's kind of on the inside track of that effort to get Georgia to turn blue within this last, like, two years, right? I mean, definitely. With regards to just getting people engaged and outside outside of presidential elections. So how do you feel about the fruit of your labor? Like, yeah, I mean, this is a beautiful moment. It feels like it was never going to come. Like, the odds were so impossible. And as someone that's, like, on the left-left, you know, I recognize that... This is that, you know, we don't choose incrementalism, but we accept it when we have to. And so we have put in so much work to at least open the door to a world where the things we want are possible, I think. And to, to kind of just like step back and think about all of the efforts that have been put in all across the state in these tiny rural towns where... You know, these people feel like they're the only ones in places like Athens, where we're surrounded on all sides by very conservative areas and just like constantly fighting, you know, with gerrymandering and whatnot, just to have our voices heard that like the to like breathe in like the threat, that sweet smell of like what collective action, like the, what those fruits of that labor smell like, like uh, it was, you know, like I, I remain like a realist and like recognize that it's going to require a lot of grit and tenacity and persistence and frustration for us to continue to fight to achieve the world we want to see. I believe that, you know, through this election, we've gained the enemy that we want. Um, But, you know, I drove down to Atlanta on Saturday 
and we got the we got the notice that the election had been called in the car, and we showed up at a rally that was supposed to be like count every vote, and it being put on by like Sister Song and like a lot of like progressive progressive lefty like BIPOC organizations in Atlanta. Uh, but to show up and then like the mood was so different. Yeah. Like everyone turned on a dime and immediately it was about, all right, how are we getting Medicare for all? You know, Sunrise Movement was there and they're out talking about a Green New Deal. And we're still in Georgia under uh, Brian Kemp, you know, and a Republican controlled legislator having to deal with attacks on women's bodily autonomy and like continuing that fight. But the fact that people were able, were, but like the fact that people were so excited, everyone was honking. They're playing like Nuck If You Buck and oh, it was dancing like the, and doing the cha cha slide. It was like the fucking end of the Return of the Jedi and shit. Like if you're watching the news, just like each each city in the world that they were showing a clip of, everybody was just in the street celebrating like they defeated the fucking empire and shit. Yeah. And I guess and I so I Saturday was really meaningful to me to be there in the park with all of those organizers because it felt like proto-organizing energy. Mm. It wasn't like it, like victory had been won. It was that we were excited and energized for what is next. Um, like we were getting like like it was like a like a like a like a pre like a pregame. Yeah. At the at the at the crib where you're doing shots with all your homies on the couch and doing power hour before you go out for the real the you know the go out into the sub thirty degrees. I've been looking bitter at bitter cold. All is pretty much kind of like a detour, you know. It's like a, like the shit's obviously not over, and it's like whatever, whatever, whatever thing that people were scared of encountering with the second Trump presidency. It's like, you know, we're all kind of on the hangover still of being happy that he's going to be going away, but we're only taking a detour. You know, this is it. <laughs> like, and we're like, stoked because it doesn't seem like there's going to be a coup. Well, I mean, it, it, let's not. Let's, let's, him let's losing and then him refusing to leave. It's only Monday. Let's give these niggas some time. Let's let's meet here next week and let's talk about what's going on with that. Because I don't know. The last thing that I heard today before we started recording was uh, the person whose job it is to sign off on the transition is refusing to sign off on the transition. They've got mad lawsuits out everywhere. They're trying to prevent states from certifying the vote. So, I mean, like I said, this is Monday. The shit was just confirmed that Biden won yesterday and the fuckery starts already. So... I don't know what the hell is going to be like on Thursday. We'll see how that plays out before we think we're out of the woods yet on Trump and his little coup thing. Because, I mean, you know, Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, shit. There's a long list of, like, people who have been in Congress for 20, 30 years that should know better that are on TV talking about Trump never lost. So... I have a, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. There's the problem with distractions like that because we have to put all hands on deck and turn our attention to the elections coming up in Georgia, right? Right. And so, you know, it's been an exciting time for Georgia. It's going to remain kind of like an annoyingly exciting time for Georgia for the next <laughs> six weeks in that, like, every national organization. All eyes are on Georgia. <laughs> pouring in money and people and Andrew Yang announced that he's moving here and, like, all these Facebook groups have popped up and people are like, how do I donate? And like, 
I'm going to send you a thousand buttons and I'm just imagining our mailboxes just stuffed just to the brim with like mailers and the ads. That's that good trouble though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the struggle never ends, right? The struggle never ends. No, I'm excited. Like, I feel very energized to like, like I wasn't excited about Warnock or Ossoff before. They're pretty milquetoast neoliberals. With the exception, I mean, like, Warnock kind of came around to, like, a federal job guarantee, which is, like, pretty legit and one of my favorite policies. Um, But now I'm like, oh, shit. If we at least, like, have the Senate, like, Medicare for all and, like, a federal job guarantee are a lot more possible if we have the Senate than if we don't. So I might as well fucking put everything I got into the next six weeks of trying to elect these motherfuckers just to create a world in which the world I want is a little more possible. No doubt. Well, that was a long ass intro, but we got a real dope show for y'all today. We are going to talk a little bit more about the elections coming up in Georgia, but later on, we're going to be talking with the hosts of NPR's new podcast, Louder Than a Riot. Some really cool people and it's a really cool show you guys are going to dig on. We're also going to go over some new music relevant to our times for the music review. That's going to be cool. We've got some stuff dealing with the NSAR situation in Nigeria. We've got Jim Jones and his election-themed track. We're also going to dive a little bit into the case surrounding newly released rapper Drakeo and his court situation. So stick around. It's some dope stuff. We'll be back in a second. And so with all eyes on Georgia... Uh, We want to give some shout outs to organizers across the state who have been doing work on the ground for years to bring us to this moment and who will continue to push us into the future as we, you know, not only celebrate this moment and celebrate uh, the not only celebrate this moment, but also celebrate its potentiality. After I went to the rally on Saturday, I met up with some Latinx organizers from mostly North Georgia. who were, you know, celebrating, but also we took a moment. It was really weird, but like inspiring. The the host, Maria Del Rosario Palacios, kind of took everyone, like paused the gathering to ask everyone, what does the nation, what should the nation thank you for, for this moment in Georgia? And everyone went around and just said, what you know, whether they're an organizer or not, just answered the question. Like you know, what does the nation owe you for this moment? And so I asked. I found it really inspiring some of their answers. And so I asked some organizers from across the state to answer the same question, so that y'all can give them proper props. And I stopped with local youth activist and daughter of former state house candidate Mocha Jasmine Johnson, Daylin White, who gave rousing speeches about the importance of voting at Black Lives Matter rallies over the summer, and a final push lambast of voter suppression at a get out the vote rally here in Athens the Saturday before the election. I believe that the nation should thank any local activists in Georgia for what's happening in the state because we were able to relay a message and information to the citizens when we needed it the most in this upcoming election to basically put somebody in office that's here for us and the people and be the change that we wanted to see by being a beacon and just spreading light to all. I spoke with Brendan Buchanan, former chair of Metro Atlanta Democratic Socialist America, which is the largest uh, chapter of DSA in the South. 
The folks in power in the state of Georgia have spent the last 20 years convincing people that change is not possible, whether that's through control of the media, control of elected officials, control of the suburbs, or control of that goofy racist flag that we've had going up until like 2003. And we've been working just as hard, the same work you're doing, to convince people that change matters and is really possible. You don't have to thank us for what's happening in Georgia, but you're welcome. But yeah, I mean, to kind of unpack some more takes that have been circulating around the election, the NYT reports that 9 out of 10 voters cited the summer uprising as a motivating factor the decision to vote. Three-fourths of them calling it a major motivating factor, and a fifth of voters saying it was the single most motivating factor for their decision to participate in the election. Among those who cited the protest as a factor, 53% of them voted for Joe Biden, and 46% voted for Donald Trump, according to their survey. This seems about what you would expect. I know a lot of people, anecdotally, who weren't really that engaged or interested in the election, just from the, the t- typical thing that you would expect, like, ah, uh, Democrats and Republicans are the same, and what really is the biggest difference between Trump and the Democrats, and, and so on and so forth. But after the uh, clearing out of Lafayette Square, yeah, yeah, I, ha- I have a lot of friends who were like, on that day, were like, oh, you mean it's like really real? And it's like, yeah, nigga, that's what we've been saying for the last three years. So, and I feel like for people that are like not super politically engaged, whose primary civics education came from like high school, like this is how a bill becomes a law, go vote, like who maybe are inconsistent or non-voters, like it makes sense that in the summer of sudden, a sudden like quasar of goddamn political activity, people's first thing they're going to do is get registered to vote. More so than like writing to their legislator or organizing direct action or mutual aid. The thing that has been inculcated in their mind. Since they were like a kid. Since they were in since infancy was voting. And so, yeah, it makes sense that like people's immediate reaction would be to make sure they participate in the election. Even if, honestly, with regards to, I mean, with regards to their visionary goals the visionary demands that emerged from the uprising, like really, like we don't fare as well either way. I mean, but I mean, yeah, I think we should look at it as, you know, obviously everything has to be with proper perspective, but I don't think that there's anything wrong with people looking at it as like a victory and a sign of progress. This easily could have flipped on the other. It could have, that could have this, this everything right here could have been reversed for the negative. You know what I'm saying? It could have been 53% of them voted for Trump because of the protests. And then this, and then in the NYT piece, they do talk. They did talk to voters who said they saw the, the looting and the vandalism, and they got scared and they wanted a law and order president. And they mm-hmm. went out and voted. They decided, that, oh, I got it. I was on the fence, but I'm going to go out and vote for Trump. So, well, let's. Here's my final thoughts on like the Trump supporters. Look. I know that there's 70 million of them, you know what I'm saying? 70 million people who are willing to to go and and vote. And I know that with all of the craziness that the Trump administration was throwing at the wall, that it's hard to keep track of everything. I personally am not one of those people that like loses track of shit. One day, one morning in July, the president just woke up out of the blue and tweeted out white power. 70 million people are, are cool with that. 
completely cool with that. So just keep that, you know, I mean, everyone just keep that in proper perspective with all of this, like, unity talk. And, oh, we got to, like, reach across the And people talking about how this is a repudiation of fascism. It's like, fucking barely. It's barely, it's barely. This is way too close for comfort. Are you fucking kidding me? But, yeah, let's just keep all of that in mind. That just, that there are 70 million people who accept Donald Trump and everything about Donald Trump. So, you, the listener out there. Whatever thing that you take away from this past four years about the Trump presidency that you personally that affected you that you think was especially bad, 70 million of your fellow countrymen and women have zero problem with it whatsoever, whatever that issue would be. Just want to keep that in mind, because obviously we know that the the centrists are going to start coming out of the woodworks. They've already started coming out of the woodworks with demands of bipartisanship and working together and yada 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 i hate how that shit is oh it's never these things are never brought up when the republicans win like i do not remember any news source that was like hey you guys know that some of these policies that you're the the muslim ban in this wall like you guys do know that these are like fringe right-wing like ideas are y'all really just gonna hoist them on the american public without like you know trying to like find any sort of like middle ground no one's at what was asking republicans about any sort of middle ground the democrats win and the next day they're like all right so you guys got to work together right we got to reject the radical left all these fucking lincoln project goons you know i mean starting to peel their masks off now and show the goblins that we hated for a decade before trump yeah, it's it's very frustrating. Speaking of which, speaking of interpretations of where we go from here, um, there's a, there is a lot of talk about, like, do we seize on our new power to push things left? Because, honestly, fuck the niggas. Like, we can do whatever we want now. No, the, more Republicans voted for Trump this time than last time, so fuck them. Like, we don't need them. We didn't. They didn't vote for Joe Biden. We don't, you know, we don't that's, need to cater to them. That's the Lincoln Project. Y'all can thank for that. Yeah, yeah. thanks. And John they, they got five, five million more votes like for Trump. Yeah. Good job, y'all. Great job. <laughs> Good, five million more votes and John Kasich didn't give us Ohio. Great so, job. So you thanks, nailed y'all. it. Nailed it, boys. You know, we, we got Minnesota. <laughs> thanks a lot, Omar. We got Michigan. Thanks, Darushin Salim. I'm just saying. So y'all throwing out the radical left. Meanwhile, Democrats who lost re-election failed, you know, for the most part, failed to support policies like Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. And the ones that did actually ended up winning there. Yeah, show. including in swing state and swing districts like fucking Katie Porter. So I mean, and while I'm sure there's more to it than that, results are results, you know. But there's going to be plenty of time for these debates in the weeks and months to come. But enough of that for now. Let's get into the fun shit. Let's bring on our guest today. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoke and audio. 
Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today we're going to be talking with two extraordinarily dope people. Individually, they are a reporter and editor for NPR Music, Sydney Madden, and NPR Music's hip-hop writer, Rodney Carmichael. And if this was like a live studio audience, this is where I'd say, make some noise for Rodney make and Sydney, no- y'all, and everybody would be like, oh, yeah. pew, 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 pew. And the crowd goes wild. Can you tell I miss performing? Yo, <laughs> How y'all doing? Yeah, thank yeah, you for having us. Yeah, both are seasoned music Definitely. journalists, but together they are hosts of one of the freshest podcasts out right now, NPR's Louder Than a Riot. So... Sydney, Rodney, from The Jump, can you explain to our listeners what the show is about and what they can expect to hear when they dive in? Oh, man. Sid, you want to take that one? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, thanks for having us, y'all. Um, I've been binging the show, so now I'm a fan. Oh, right. Uh, I'm a new fan, so... Um, Louder Than a Riot is all about the collision of rhyme and punishment in America. So what we do on this show is really trace the historical and sociopolitical timelines and intersecting timelines of hip-hop and mass incarceration from the 1980s till now. And we do it through real-life cases of rappers and um, hip-hop luminaries that have been touched by the criminal justice system. I was really curious on how you set it on this particular intersection between hip-hop and politics for the focus of your show. Since in our show, we talk about many ways that policy touches the lives of of those in the hip-hop community. So why mass incarceration particularly? I mean, I think we got our first signals from the music. You know what I mean? I, I think if you if you 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 grew up in the in the eighties and but especially in the nineties in terms of being a hip hop fan, if you were listening if you were listening to the music at the time, you know they were making these connections. They were they were critiquing the the the, the uh, prison industrial complex on a ground level, plain spoken, you know, the way we talk to each other and, and, you know, 
in ways that I'm, I'm sure the academics were as well and, and, and the activists and whatnot. But if you were just a straight up hip hop head, it was information. And, you know, I think that 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 sense that there was this, you know, connection or, you know, was it conspiratorial is just an idea that's always kind of resonated. You know, a lot of conspiratorial ideas resonate in our community because, you know, honestly, a lot of conspiratorial things have happened <laughs> to our community. Yeah. That we were never told about and we had to learn about ourselves and connect the dots ourselves. Yeah. So so I think that's 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 where the connection came from. I mean, you know, I think, you know, Source magazine back in the early 2000s when they did the yeah. behind bars issues a few years running, you know, that was a really huge thing. I remember at the time um, and, and and just eye opening in terms of like, you know, there, there, there's there's a, a connection here or at least a way to explore the, the, the criminal justice system in a way it's impacting us through the thing that we love so much hip hop, you know. So is there any is there any like one particular case that kind of sparked off the interest to go in this direction? I don't think it was. I think it was the fact that there were so many cases, you yeah. know. I mean, the, the the idea is 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 really about trying to expose the fact that this this, you know, mass incarceration and, and over policing impacts us so much, you know. And it's like how can you talk about this issue in a way that isn't just academic, isn't just statistics, in a way where you can tell stories that will pull people in and 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 really, you know, get you to, to think about these issues. So hip hop really is almost just the vehicle to look at, you know, how how this stuff is, has been affecting us for, for so many decades. Because, you know, hip hop is popular. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's popular with us. It's popular with people outside of our communities, obviously. And a lot of people who claim they love black people don't necessarily seem to always understand the, the way, you know, issues and systemic racism and whatnot are impacting black people specifically. And so it's like, let's let's use this thing that you love, um, you know, whether you black or white or whatever, and 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 expose these broader realities. Um, so, yeah, it was just the, the, the mass amount of cases that that made it seem so, you know. Like, like, so inevitable to, to think yeah. about. And that's the through line that we really um, saw because when a lot of these cases started popping up, whether it be uh, the Meat Mill Pro violation or 21 Savage getting getting yoked up at the Super Bowl for uh, citizenship violations, stuff like that, it to, to, to an untrained eye and an untrained ear, it can all seem like isolated incidents and it can all seem like, oh, well, rappers get in trouble. That's what they do. They sell this type of criminal outlaw lifestyle so when they live it you know that's what happens but these these cases don't happen in a vacuum and these cases have so much uh overshadowing and overarching uh systemic themes systemic racism themes throughout that we really wanted to drive that connection home and it now seems like obviously it's been a topic that's evergreen and pertinent but now seemed a perfect time to do it because as of 2017, hip-hop is the most consumed, most streamed genre in America, and America incarcerates more of its um, population than any other country per capita in the in the world. So it's like these superlatives, they don't live separate from each other. They're all intertwined because the the art and the culture, it's a it's a mirror to what ha- what is happening in society. So that's why we really want us to, to draw it out. So how did y'all like 
link to to do this podcast? Oh, that was the easy part. I mean, uh, <laughs> that was actually the easiest part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We started at the same year, uh, in at NPR Music. Uh, I started at the beginning of the year. See, it came toward the end of the year, and um, you know, we we were we were. I think we were really kind of hungry to create a a platform within NPR Music uh, for hip hop. You know, obviously there's the Tiny Desk, which um, you know we we both contribute to uh, as well, and has has in in itself in a lot of ways become a platform for for hip hop and and R and B and Black music. Um, and there was uh you know the the early hip hop podcast microphone check, which was one of the first things that really made me start checking for NPR music before I worked there. Um, but you know, uh, Franny Kelly, who started that podcast, she had moved on at that point. So it just wasn't a, a, a platform. It just felt like, uh, you know, hip hop, like, like we already said, you know, hip hop is the most popular genre and, you know, it's, it's the two, it's the, 20 teens, whatever, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's crazy that we don't have a bigger platform here to, to talk about hip hop. And so I think, you know, we, we were already in brainstorm mode and, and, you know, it, it kind of, we were going to create something, whether it was. Right. And it was, we really saw an open lane for ourselves with it because we were both coming to it as hip hop journalists, music journalists who were, uh, at the time, like, newbies to NPR. But, you know, NPR has, it carries such a name of high-caliber journalism. So we really saw that crossroads of, like, cultural confluence that we bring naturally to it because we're of the culture and we cover the culture and we are the culture. And then and then marrying that with real in-depth research, reporting, editing, producing, um, soundscaping that NPR is known for. So we were like, there's nothing else out there like this. So let's do it. Tell us where the name Louder Than a Riot came from. Oh, man. Well, that was, um, first we went through a lot of names. We had, <laughs> we, won't, we won't mention any of the names that we had. Um, some just weren't right. Others were not available. Um but you know, in the midst of this, you know, we've been we've been working on this, this this podcast for over two years, and so in the midst of us kind of finally coming down, ramping up to to getting ready to release it, all of this stuff, everything of 2020 starts to happen, right? And so you know, it felt so um, it just resonated with with, the, with with everything that we were talking about. You know, and it felt like, you know, let's try to pick a name that not only uh, speaks to this moment, but speaks to the history that hip hop has in terms of, you know, being a voice for the voiceless and speaking truth to power. And, you know, MLK's, you know, famous quote, uh, a riot is the language of the unheard. It just kept resonating. And it's just like, you know, what 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 better genre of music is there than hip hop when it comes to being a soundtrack for the unheard? You know, so um, just the idea that hip hop has been rapping and raging about this stuff for 40 plus years. And for whatever reason, America on, on, on some level, you know, whether it was short lived or not, seemed to to hear, uh, you know, what we've been, um, you know, crying about and, and pointing out for, for 40 plus years, uh, 400 years. 
you know, this this summer. It, it's it's just it, we we just wanted to kind of land on something that connected all of that together, and you know, you know, if 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 share. Yeah. So it, we, that's just kind of how we landed on. And it's really a lot about just to add on to that, Rodney is being humble, but he came up with that great epiphany in like the 11th and a half hour because they were like, y'all, all these names are taken. We need a name. <laughs> Ronnie's like, I got it. But um, just to add on to that, there's so much um, uh, negative and derogatory connotations to the word riot and, and riot has become something of of a racialized term and a politicized term. And we really wanted to um, circumvent that and subvert that and, and put it in front of your face and be like, nah, this is the deeper context that you need to look into and you need to listen to. And and that's exactly what our show does. Our show is a lot about context. It's a lot about historical um, um, backdrops. It's a lot about um, intergenerational trauma, community settings, uh, disparities that inform the music that, that turn... Uh, young artists into into scapegoats and into martyrs for the culture and for and for the law so so casually uh, and so that's what we really wanted to do we wanted to signal in the name that this is going to be more than what you just think it is off jump so that's why we we went with something and we actually made our it's it's a new phrase and it helps that you know now when you say louder than a riot, all you can think of is this, right? <laughs> so it's, it's easy for search terms, too. So shout out to Rodney. So, like, back in the early 2010s, like, I personally, it was, like, before falling down the YouTube rabbit hole had, like, a term to it that was, like, diagnosed, I was kind of, like, susceptible to some online just conspiracy theories and stuff like that in the early days of that sort of thing. And I remember one of the early things that I remember stumbling across around then was the letter, the infamous letter that you guys deal with in the first episode of the show. So I wanted you guys to first explain to our listeners just the story behind the letter. And then why did y'all choose to have that be like the jumping point for the first episode as far as like what you guys dealt with? Okay, so so the letter the letter in question, um, uh, which I guess doesn't really have a, a name to it, but but we kind of named it the the hip the hip hop's Willie Lynch letter. Um, I, I've heard other people call it too, Dr. Regina Bradley, who we we interview in the DJ drama uh, episode. She she calls it that as well. Um, the letter, the letter, you know, it, it purports that there was a meeting that took place in the early 90s that brought together music executives and private prison industry uh, executives and proposed this, uh, you know, this 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 meeting or this uh, connection between the two in which they would get rich together if the music executives began signing, marketing, and promoting uh, hip-hop that, uh, you know, played into a lot of the criminal stereotypes and and therefore would, you know, help them fill their private prisons. Uh, that, that was the idea, right? And um, I think in a lot of ways the idea resonated because, you know, like so many people that we interviewed talked about, it kind of, you know, fits with the evolution of hip hop that was happening that began to happen, you know, early 90s as as, as gangster rap, you know, 
exploded and, and really became the, the, the most popular form or subgenre of hip hop. You know, you saw this transformation from, you know, like the pro-black Afrocentric era, kind of East Coast driven, although there were a lot of West Coast artists. So shout out to artists like Paris and, and whatnot that were on that same tip. Um, I mean, it was every, everybody, the whole, I think hip hop at, at, at large was, was on that tip. Um, but, you know, you definitely saw a transformation. And I think there was market forces that uh, at play behind some of that, but it was also cultural things happening behind some of that. Um, and and so I think the, the reason why we wanted to jump it off like that is, is because I don't know. I don't think we could have avoided it. Honestly, if you're looking at the intersection, but the potential intersection between mass incarceration and hip hop, you know, even if even if the uh, this conspiracy theory, this letter is a, is a, is a hoax or just a theory, it does so much of the legwork in terms of getting you to think about the potential connections between the two, or why we, as 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 black folks, as hip hop fans, would be so anxious about the potential connection you know and and what what is what is driving this connection and and why are things changing in in ways that seem to be beyond our control um i mean you just look at like so many forms of 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 black art i mean think about like the so-called black exploitation era in film you know it starts off as an era where all of a sudden you know black directors and creators start getting access to to make bigger budget films through the Hollywood system. And, you know, the, the next thing you know, you know, no matter what you think of the black exploitation era, which I love a lot of that stuff. Um, I, I kind of like grew up on that stuff, watching that stuff on VHS. As well. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, in a lot of ways, it has the same trajectory that you see hip hop having. <laughs> you know, what I'm <laughs> so it's like it's a cyclical thing that sometimes repeats. And I think it's just it's the job of capitalism in some ways to, you know, uh, market and exploit and and kind of reduce things to, you know, the lowest common denominator in some ways because for whatever reason that seems to be the way that the system can can more easily market. You know. Uh, you know, like the black experience or something. The outside of black folks, you know what mm-hmm. I mean. And so it's just like let's 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 figure out a way that I can't imagine how we would have uh, explained why we were you know exploring this connection if we didn't have that conspiracy theory letter to to fall back on, so to speak. Word. I heard you mention something about you know market forces in Sydney earlier. You talked about the community back- backdrops that sort of influenced the pervasiveness and, you know, the recent in recent decades, the explosion of the prison industrial complex. And as um, conversations around, you know, defunding and abolishing the police and like abolishing prisons have become mainstreamed over the summer, I, a lot of people are think, thinking towards the other factors of public safety in our communities with regards to uh, access to healthcare, access to education, um, other sorts of preventative measures that make our community safer. And I was wondering how much those other sorts of um, influencing um, pieces of public policy uh, make their way into your discussions of the uh, how underinvestment um, spurs uh, the prison industrial complex, if at all, in the show. 
Yeah, that's a great question. And we are about halfway through our season right now. And a lot of it has been um, dealing with cases that have to do with criminalizing hip hop culture at large, whether that, that be with um, DJ Drama's mixtape raid or or uh, lyrics on trial, which is a pervasive tactic by prosecution, and that's with the case of Mac Phipps. Um, on other episodes that are coming up this season, you're going to hear about Bobby Shmurda and and cycles of structural, cultural, and direct violence in underserved and and under um, underfunded neighborhoods, black and brown neighborhoods specifically. You're going to hear about police tactics and the lineage of profiling and and parole pitfalls in South Central LA, which is a place where Nipsey Hussle called home. And then um, you're going to hear about specific prison conditions and how they are meant to psychologically and physically break you as a human being. Uh, you're going to hear about, uh, and then, sorry, and then we bring it home with talking about where we are at this present moment and how you said a lot of conversations being mainstreamed this summer about defunding the police, abolishing the prison industrial complex, and what and what reality will look like on the other side of that when we don't live in a world of of crime and punishment and guilt and innocence as binaries. So... With every hip hop story, we weave in these these lessons and these and these updates on on certain uh, jurisdictions, certain protocols, certain laws. But we do it in a way that is applicable to somebody who just chilling on the block, who would see like this is how it relates to me, type of thing. Like not like it doesn't have to be, um, you know, it doesn't have to be something that is so above your head and and so. Um, foreign to you that you think it doesn't apply to you and one thing I love about y'all's last episode which you were talking about the power of voting and hip-hop's influence when it comes to getting the vote out and stuff I think it was I think it was Dope Knife who said it but yeah we're talking about having the power to focusing on the power that you have to control what you do which is your human body, if you are able-bodied, you have the power to protest. And you have the power to go out and get and get in line and vote in person. And and until you have until you do not have breath in your body, like that's what you can do. You know, like you wanna you wanna have a, um, applicable choices of what you can do. And I think a big uh, aim of this show is about is about the power of of disseminating the narrative, like informing the narrative. Um, um, aligning the narrative and sharing the narrative with people who it's very much about, but they don't really get to hear it themselves. And they don't get to hear it in, in the way that they talk to each other. And I think that's something that we always carry with us whenever we're, whenever we're, di whenever we're diving deep into the historical laws of when lyrics on trial are being used or, or when RICO laws are being allowed to criminalize the mixtape or when the power of the prosecutor pushes someone who's 18 years old into a plea deal without his lawyer present, things like that. Word, word up. Okay, so what is everybody listening to? Lay it on me. What, what's everybody bumping right now? Oh, man, yo. I got to tell y'all, I have not told... Yeah, I have not told anybody about this because it's 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 not out yet. It doesn't come out the next week. Oh, the, Rodney, you so press, oh, you are you about I, to drop like? No, no, no. I hate you. He's always like this. He's always no. Even get, mm. I don't even get music. <laughs> I don't even get music early like that. But the uh, the press person for for Goody Mob's new album uh, sent it to me. Okay. Um, uh, 
the day of the election, I think, was the day that I listened to it. Two, so like two days ago or whatever. Man, I'm, I'm a big Goody Mob fan, especially the yeah, first time. I heard a new song and it had like a video. I don't know if that was that the one that you're talking about. But yeah, that's, it, that's it was pretty that. dope. That's on yeah, there. That's on dope. there. The album though is like this is definitely their best album since uh since Still Standing. You know what I mean? Oh wow. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's executive produced by Organized Noise. Oh and, shit. Wow, yeah, taking it back. I mean, Cujo is on fire. Gip is on fire. CeeLo sounding like CeeLo from the hood again. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, what about you, Sydney? What are you listening to? Oh my yeah, God. Well, yeah, I feel yeah. like all of my things like dwarf in comparison to that. Damn, you're talking about <laughs> legends. Okay, anyway. I mean, I only listened to it once, so, you know, I might just be super hyped. But anyway. Don't try to backtrack now. <laughs> How dare you? Okay, anyway. My favorites are things that are already out that people have already been um, debating and dissecting. But uh, with this project, we've really been, you know, diving deep into these stories that are, you know, like headlines from a couple years ago that are like we're trying to tell the story behind the story. So I haven't been super deep in like the rollout, but I'll say Polo G dropped one of the best projects this year to me. Um, uh, Gritty, heartfelt, soulful, um, um, real um spillage village i'm very i'm keeping my eye on them i'm very much keeping my eye on them because they already have like so many of my favorite artists separately and now i feel like it's like i don't know if i'm gonna over over hype it i don't want to say the avengers but it's like i feel like i feel like they're really coming together and like all the rings are being put to, i don't know yeah that's good um, yeah <laughs> I like uh, that. Yeah. Um, who else? Who else? And always, I mean, I just have, I just have favorites that I always go back to, like, like Kendrick, No Name. Um, Isn't um, Kendrick coming out with something new? I don't know. Is he? You got I, I heard. I heard. I heard Kendrick's next one is gonna have kind of like a rock theme to it. Oh, oh really? Mm. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I heard. So. Okay. Wow. Okay. okay. You done heard some stuff I ain't heard. That's, that's well, what I, I heard. mean, so I mean, heard. he was leaning a little bit. Into more, into more, like into more percussion and guitar than usual on "Damn," right? Yeah, yeah. I thought so That's too. True. Yeah, but I mean, like the yeah, the the track that he had with Bono and shit. Yeah. Like if if he mm-hmm. kind of takes that cue and just mm-hmm. goes off with like if you had a whole album that was. Nothing but those songs. Right. Yeah. Okay. Niggas need to just stop rapping. Exactly. Exactly. Let's just all take a seat. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. All right. Well, where can we find your podcast? Where should people tune in to listen? And when? And when? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Louder Than a Riot drops every Thursday in your feeds, 1201 Eastern. Check for it. Subscribe and stay ready. Uh, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. And if you wanna, um, if you wanna holler back and tap in and tweet at us, we're at Louder Than a Riot. Word, that's what's up. That's what's up. But thank you guys for talking with us. Yo, this thank y'all really so dope. much for having us, man. Absolutely, thank you so much. Absolutely. Best conversation this was great. we've had. <laughs> yeah, oh, word. That's for real. What's up, that's Y'all would be surprised how many black people we do not talk to about this podcast. So it was great to talk to y'all. <laughs> well, please spread the word about waiting on reparations. We too. will. We will. 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 <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. 
connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, music discussion time. We're going to be talking about some contemporary tracks today, some new things and their relevancy to the ongoing political discourse of the day. So what do we got first, Mariah? So Jim Jones got in his bag a little bit talking about the election last week with his new track, aptly titled Election. Election. Let's give it a listen real quick. Brazilian as we approach the next election. Uh-huh. Trump turn the country upside down is just deception. Uh-oh. If you're not ready. To- so this is one of those. I mean, I I think it's cool. I always, hey, I am an advocate of old niggas still doing it. That's like, <laughs> like I love I love seeing that shit, and it's dope to see Jimmy back and forth. But this definitely kind of comes across as Jimmy had a a new track that was out. And he wanted to put it out around the time of the election, so he named it Election Day. There was like two bars at the beginning of that that had anything to do with the election. And the rest of it was just, you know, the capo, the capo. I don't really think this is like Jim Jones's statement on the election. Him in particular, I've heard him speak about the election more in like actual interviews than he mentioned in the song yeah i mean i was interviewed by this magazine recently and they asked me about um not like whether or not artists try to raise awareness about issues for economic reasons try to capitalize off of like a cultural zeitgeist and my response was that like i don't i feel like i don't 
maybe I'm naive and maybe I like to believe the best in people, but I feel like what comes off, what comes across as an attempt to like hijack a cultural moment, like titling a song election and then mostly talking about your jewels and stuff, is really just like a lack of something really interesting to say. I mean, I, I agree. It's a problem. It's a widespread problem. We had an episode about hip hop artists and their duty to participate in the discourse around social movements when it's like, frankly, if you don't have shit to say, that's okay. Don't position yourself as someone with a very nuanced take if you don't. You're taking away air, you're, you know, in, uh, you know, an ecosystem. There's a lot of people who are organizing on the ground who need to be heard. And so it's fine if you don't have anything to say. I don't think, um, no, I agree with you on that, that that is a thing. I'm not sure that that's what is going on. Like, I think this is more akin to, uh, I mean, rappers do stuff like this now where, like, they'll name a song after a celebrity or an athlete. And it has nothing to do with what the song is about, but it, you know, it gets the song traction on social media because it's named after someone famous or it's named after something that's going on. I think this is similar to that. You you look in a feed of something and you see, oh, Jim Jones has a new track called Election Day, and you know, some people might listen to it with no expectations at all, but you know, a good amount of people are going to be like, oh, what does Jim Jones have to say about the election? And you would be disappointed with this. But it's a high song, though. If you like that, like, off-kilter dip set flow. It is more, it is more aesthetic than it is, like... Yeah, it's, it's an aesthetic more than it's... It, it's, an, it's an aesthetic style choice, I think. You know, obviously none of it. We haven't talked to Jim Jones, so we don't know. But it feels more like, you know, okay, there's an election Jim going Jones, on. Jim Jones, come on the show. My track... Oh, yes, please, please. And up next, we got a track from Nigerian rapper Burna Boy with his song 201020, which was a tribute song for the Lekki Massacre, which we'll discuss in a little bit. Let's check this out. Fire. Now, to fill you in on a little bit of the Lekki Massacre, we got to fill you in a little bit about the NSARS movement in Nigeria. So, so SARS is the uh, special anti-robbery squad. It's a uh, special police unit in Nigeria that was originally started in 1992. And throughout the years, it's been plagued with accusations of abuse from... Uh, rape to extortion, kidnapping, intimidation, uh, murder, even committing acts of organized crime, selling drugs and racketeering and stuff like that. So uh, in 2017, a Twitter campaign was launched with the hashtag NSARS and built off of that movement and mass demonstration that followed it, it, it swelled into an outpour of, you know, people calling for SARS to be disbanded and ended. Now, as the years have gone by, this isn't necessarily the first time that there's been calls to end the SARS, the SARS police unit. And usually when it has gotten to a bit of a crescendo, the government usually says, okay, we will disband it so they can get everyone to calm down and they end up not disbanding it. Um, this time it does appear to be different as they have agreed that they're going to immediately begin disbanding SARS that will remain to be seen but the amazing thing to see is to to look and see that there's mass demonstration and mass protest going on against police brutality 
and all the way on the other end of the world kind of coalescing with what we have going on here. It's it's cool to see. Perhaps, you know, inspired to, to greater mobilization by seeing what has happened in the United States and internationally around the George Floyd uprising over the summer. I think it also really harkens back to something Angela Davis talks about in Freedom is Constant Struggle about the importance of international solidarity and like a global abolitionist movement because so much of like the prison industrial complex like is transnational. Like the things that like the the Israeli defense forces are doing to folks in Palestine, like in the U.S., we're sending cops over there to learn from them and like bring those tactics back to America to brutalize, you know, protesters in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014. And so like there's there's these global flows of like ha- learning how to abuse power and uh, and ultimately it's it's just a reminder of how many of our struggles are the same. And when we, like, band together and share tactics, share resources, share information, share capital, both social and, like, literal, like, monetary monetary resources with folks that are fighting similar fights in other places, like, you know, we're trying to liberate everybody. Unfortunately, last month, uh, the city of Leaky was the site of what is now known as the Leaky Massacre. Uh, members of the Nigerian Armed Forces opened fire on peaceful NSARS protesters in Leaky, at the Leaky Toll Gate in Lagos State, Nigeria. Officials have not disclosed the number of casualties originally, but, but there was reported to have been at least 15 people killed in the incident. In addition, there have been complaints about missing persons, friends and family members, and few have been confirmed to be in the hospital in critical condition. A day after the incident, this was on the 21st of October, the government of Lagos State initially denied any loss of life by the gunfire. And even the phrasing of that, loss of life by gunfire, they they denied that the police had murdered people. But later, they admitted in an interview with CNN that two persons were killed. Amnesty International stated that at least 12 protesters were killed in what the organization described as extrajudicial killing. I mean, I never lived in... Nigeria before so I never experienced SARS but I know when I was living in Cameroon around my teenage years you know you start going out and shit like that I definitely have experience with the shakedown nature of African police forces for sure so that's definitely a common thing like extortion like getting extorted by the cops over there and stuff like that and that sort of shit's happening to kids whose parents are diplomats and business people like those kids are getting locked up and your friends got to go bail you out and shit like that or scrounge up some money so they can pay off the cops to let you go so that you don't get in trouble with your parents and shit like that so you can only imagine what's actually happening to the you know actual local populations what type of abuses they're subject to by the police there but damn even in explaining all that shit we kind of <laughs> We kind of lost track of the song. So the song, Burner Boys 2010-20, let's talk about that a little bit. My first initial reaction is fire, flames. Yeah, and like it's got like a, like a soulful, like con- contemplative kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Where, but at the same time, the rhythms, perhaps it's just a cultural nuance that I'm not aware of because I'm fucking American. But it feels like 
celebratory at the same time, like yeah. celebratory of those that are that were lost. Yeah, it's like a celebration of life more than a mourning of death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it reminds me, I, when you know, when I was a kid, my mom used to listen to quite a bit of, uh, you know, like anti-apartheid like music just from different you know regions and stuff like that so it kind of reminds me a little bit of that vibe it has that spirit to it like like move real movement music type you know yeah, yeah. um no nah, that 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 song is really fresh uh i've never heard of burner boy before but i'm sure that my mom has my mom is quite the consumer of like nigerian entertainment stuff she lo- loves nigerian movies and and she's always trying to put me onto the new nigerian music that's coming out and i'm always like yeah mom i'll get to it i'll get to it <laughs> well our last song for consideration today uh was just dropped last week by Drakeo the ruler who is out of jail after three years south central's Drakeo the ruler has been released from jail at last and it's clearly dead set on picking up where he left off. Um, according to his attorney, immediately upon getting out of jail, he went to the studio for six hours to work on new music, including this track, Fights Don't Matter, off his upcoming album, We Know the Truth. 33 shots, bitch, I ain't finna fight no nigga. I'ma leave him dead in the street with his iPhone 7. When I left the coop, all you saw was banana peels. He ain't die shit. Trying to put- I think that's like a Cali thing now, isn't it? Because that's how Blueface raps. That's... that's, that's, that's- I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not too uh, versed on it, but that reminds me of, like, the blue... I don't know who, who came up with it first, but that's, like, that off-kilter blue face style where, like, always seems like it's teetering on the edge of just completely falling off the flow, but it's just, it just still keeps it up. I wonder if he's been advised by his attorneys to, like, be cool in his lyrics and in his music videos now because... So the full story is that... Uh, you know, he had he emerged victorious from a pretty harrowing legal battle against murder and attempted murder charges. He was originally arrested in 2017 for an incident that left a 24-year-old man dead. He was acquitted in 2019, but was kept, was kept locked up as prosecutors used his lyrics and music video as proof that Drakeo's rap group, Too Greedy Stink, Stick, what Stink Team? Okay, the the Too Greedy Stink Team was a violent gang and Drakeo was the leader. In California, if you are a gang member, you can be charged for crimes other uh, members of your supposed gang committed. Earlier this year, he recorded Thank You for Using GTL, which was recorded entirely over the phone in prison. And GTL is a telecommunications company that is like a for-profit provider of phone services to folks in jail. Okay. Um, and so... Uh, so that was his way of sticking it in, sticking it to him? Yeah, I mean, he was in solitary confinement for nine months out of the three years that he was locked up. And so that he used his time with relative freedom while inside to record an album. That Pitchfork actually called some, one of the best albums of this year. It's pretty dope. But um, yeah, I wonder if like now that he's out, um, you know, the prosecutors offered him a deal of time served and now he's back with his family and stuff. I wonder if like in his lyrics and music videos he's gonna be like a little more careful. Um, well I mean, judging from uh this song, it doesn't sound like it. I mean he's still talking about spraying people up and stuff. Look, people are probably gonna get mad, but I gotta I gotta keep it real. A lot of rappers rap about the stuff that he raps about. It's kinda like a common thing now. I don't know how many rappers are out there talking about 
Man, I was just minding my own business and I just got hit out the blue with a double murder charge. Don't you hate it when that happens? So, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm glad that another dude, is, another black man ain't in jail. But, you know, as far as using his lyrics against them, again, I think that's bullshit. I'm not sure how, like, widespread of a practice that is. Like, are DAs across... Is there an epidemic of DAs across the country really utilizing rappers' lyrics to get put bogus charges on them? Because that would insinuate that every rapper has multiple murder convictions going on right now because everybody is snitching on themselves about how many people they're spraying. And that very well may be the case. I don't know. It seems unlikely. So... I know there are some cases where motherfuckers is genuinely like, yo, I killed this dude on this day and I put the evidence in my mom's house. It's underneath my floorboard. If you check there at 8 p.m., you'll find it. So there's some people who are actually leaving evidence in their rhymes and shit. And (laughs) I don't know, yo. There's profiling motherfuckers with their rap lyrics. And then there's detective work. (laughs) I think in this particular case where his music videos and his lyrics were used to like try to saddle him with like enhanced like gang gang like gang enhancements for his charges it's kind of bullshit because like I think that and I've seen this in in you know as a legislator in my own community where it's like you see a bunch of young niggas hanging out and it's like call the cops they're selling drugs like okay these kids are 14 years old and there's not after school programs for them to be in and shit and they're just hanging out and they look like a gang because they're just kids and they're just hanging out with their friends. And so this idea that any sort of like organization of black people that is not institutionalized in some way is like a gang, it's very dangerous. And so I think in this particular case, like that's total bullshit. And, the, you know, the the uh, Drakeo's attorney himself, John Hanasaki, um called them out for, you know, wasting years and millions of dollars trying to imprison this guy for life. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's just kind of bullshit, but I mean... It is, but I just... But I, I, I mean, I do think it's I fear unwise it, for rappers to, like, be talking about the crimes they do. I fear... Specific details in the music. As far as uh, the music end goes, it's... um. I mean, the song's fresh, you know. If, if you can get into that flow, it's kind of like the Jim Jones thing. That's that's funny. We have two very specific flows in the music that we listen to today. And then this particular case, there's so much to unpack here from the way our tax dollars are spent in the judicial system, plea bargaining, California gang enhancement laws, the importance of electing progressive D- district attorneys, the question of whether progressive prosecutors even exist. You know, is, is that like, isn't that like an oxymoron? Exactly. Um, for profits, communications companies, extorting incarcerated people as exemplified in his album. Thank you for using GTL. I mean, we could do a whole fucking episode on this case. Well, it's going to have to wait for another episode because I'm getting antsy and I feel like rapping. Let's get a beat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Waiting on reparations. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yo, yo, dope knife on the microphone. I'm never quiet. Eat MCs till I really need a diet. Motherfucker step to me, you just retire. Hope one day I'll be louder than a riot. Bust freestyles when I bust my bars. I smoke mad weed till I'm hot like stars. Support everybody trying to outlaw SARS. I love everybody, no, I'm not hard. I got nothing, I'ma stop in this place. I don't wanna leave no evidence for my case. Just in case the DA wanna listen. Uh, I'm done, I'm done. Yo, legal freaking with the fucking kickstart From Atlanta to Nigeria, we finna insards Mass incarceration, yeah, we pin like piggies Hear about it listening to Rod in Sydney And if you're running with a friend of three That's a gang, watch out, you'll get the death penalty And I got plenty beats on the background Yeah, I'm never about to back down Everybody act clown <laughs> I'm Lingua Franca I'm Dope Knife And we are waiting on reparations See you next week Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio. Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.